let's look at our scripture as we start off our new series on the kingdom of God. And this is our sermon text can be found in on page four. This is Luke 440 through 44. Luke 440 through 44. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And when the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The word of the Lord. Well, if I was to ask you the question, what is the Bible all about? And you only had three words to answer. What three words would you choose? I would recommend that you use the three words kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the central theme that runs from the beginning of the Bible through the Old Testament, through the New Testament to the end. If you scan your Rolodex of biblical knowledge, you'll see that the kingdom is brought up time and time again in the scriptures. On verses such as Isaiah 9, 7, on the in, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It's predicted in the book of Daniel 2.44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those other kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. The kingdom of God is the theme that runs from the beginning to the end. And the kingdom of God was central to Jesus' ministry. Indeed, the very first words that Jesus proclaimed when he began his ministry were these. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In this passage, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Indeed, in the ancient days, it was called the gospel of the kingdom. But questions abound, do they not? As, to we, as we think about the question, what exactly is the kingdom of God? If I was to corner you in a dark alley and ask you the question, tell me what is the kingdom of God? What answer would you give? We've got to dig deeper into understanding the kingdom of God if we want to understand what this whole thing is about. When is it to come? What is it exactly? How does it uh, implement itself? What are the effects that it has on the world, on us? And so that's the purpose of this series, to really unpack what the kingdom of God is. And the purpose of this sermon is to start with three central questions. Number one, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? Number two, why is it good news? Why is it good news that the kingdom of God is coming? And finally, number three, what do I have to do 
about it? What is my part to play in this kingdom of God that has come? So let's begin with the first question. What exactly is the kingdom of God? Now, there are many interpretations of the kingdom of God if you go to the various theologians of the world. For some, the kingdom of God is a purely subjective realm, a some sort of relationship a, a relationship, a subjective relationship between man and God, but it really has no manifestation upon this earth. It really has no effect upon life. It's purely an abstract, subjective thing. But for others, the kingdom of God is actually an apocalyptic realm. It's something that is to come in the future, a kingdom that will come and overturn all of the kingdoms of the world. It's supernatural, but it is to come, but it has not come yet. For other people, it's not about a relationship, but rather an ideal pattern for human society. It's not about individual salvation, and there's no future orientation, but rather it's focusing on how to solve the social problems of the present, how to have peace and goodwill toward man, how to uh, resolve labor disputes. It's about an ideal social order. Well, that's what the theologians say, and so we're tempted to simply say, well, let's go to the Bible. We'll get answers there. But in reality, we see many explanations for the kingdom of God when we go to the Scripture. The Scriptures tell us that the kingdom of God is a present spiritual reality that is in the earth, that is now from the time the inauguration of Jesus. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, us who have the Holy Spirit, if you do, if you are a believer, can experience the spiritual reality in the present of the kingdom of God as you live by the Spirit. But at the same time, the scriptures tell us that the kingdom of God is a future inheritance. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, O blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is when Jesus gathers the sheep and the goats at the very end of judgment. How can it be a present spiritual reality and simultaneously a future inheritance? The scriptures tell us that it is a realm that believers have already entered. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've already been brought into the kingdom. And yet, it also tells us in Matthew 13.41 that there will be a day when the angels will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. It's present and it's future. It's spiritual and it's physical. How are we to make sense of this bewildering number of different verses? I think we have to start with the meaning of the word kingdom. See, we get confused because we look at the term kingdom of God and we analyze it in our current cultural context. When we think of kingdoms of the world, you may think of the kingdom of Great Britain, for instance. It refers to a specific realm of geographic territory and a specific people 
that lay under its rule. But back in the ancient days, the primary meaning of the word kingdom was not about the realm or the people, but it was about the authority to rule. It was about the sovereignty of the king himself. And so it was not called the kingdom of Great Britain. It was called the kingdom of Artaxerxes. Or when a new king would come into play uh, or, or establish his rule, the kingdom of Rehoboam would be established. The kingdom is all about the king and his authority to rule. Jesus illustrates this in Luke 19, 11 through 12 with a parable where he talks about a nobleman who went into a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. If you remember the parable, he appoints a number of his workers to go ahead and tend his vineyard while he goes off. But it says that his people sent an emissary after him saying, we do not want this man to be king over us. So what is this man doing? He's going into a far country to receive a kingdom. Where is this kingdom? Is it in the far country? No, the kingdom is where he just left. The issue was that he did not have the authority to rule over that. He needed to be granted the authority. And so he went away, he was granted the authority, and he came back to rule, and his reign began. Indeed, the very same thing actually happened with Herod the Great in 63 B.C., when Herod went to Rome, received the authority to rule, and came back and established his kingdom over the Jews. So the kingdom of God is his kingship. It's his rule. It's his authority and his power. And when we start to look at the scriptures in light of that, the kingdom of God begins to make sense. Did not Jesus say, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child cannot enter it? He's not speaking about heaven. He's speaking about the rule of God like a little child. Anyone who does not receive his authority and his power like a child to a parent cannot enter it. When he says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, He's not saying to seek first heaven or to seek first the people of God, but rather to seek first his rule, his reign, his power in our lives. When we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying let your rule, your kingly power come upon this earth, come into my life, as it is already manifesting itself in heaven. And so Jesus has come to bring the rule of God, the reign of God, to inaugurate it into planet Earth. Now you may ask the question, isn't he already ruling on planet Earth? In one sense, most certainly. Psalm 24.1 puts it this way, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. In Deuteronomy 32, 39, God speaks 
uh, uh, through Moses and says, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I wound and I heal and none can deliver from my hand. God is over all of the earth in the general sense of he uh, is controlling all of it. But he is coming to bring a specific rule, a specific function in the kingdom of God that I'm going to explain in just a little bit from now. But I want to talk about the fact that Jesus comes as king. I don't know if you've had a chance to be a king in life. The closest thing might be the CEO of a company. In a former life, I was a CEO of a company called Freedom Wash. And Freedom Wash is a, a car wash chain in Hampton Roads. Probably the closest one is the one at the corner of Independence and Holland Road. There's a giant car wash there. And there was a situation where I was the head of this company when some employees were caught stealing money. They had found a way to game the machines that we had where they would put in a token and they would be able to pull back quarters and refund and they were stealing money and we caught them on tape. And so here I was, the CEO of this company. What was I going to do? I could let this continue on or I could do my duty as the de facto king of this organization. I could restore that which was right. I could prosecute justice. I could say no more to what is happening here, this lawlessness. And so that's exactly what I did. We brought the employees in. We sat them down at a table, uh, brought in a former policeman to interrogate them. And uh, we went ahead and we prosecuted them. I had to exert my reign because it was wrong what they were doing. I don't know how you see Jesus. You may see him as a great teacher, and he most certainly is. You must see him, you may see him as a suffering servant, one who laid down his life, who was mocked, who was humiliated, who was crucified. And he most certainly was. You might see him as an itinerant preacher who came to earth to preach good news, to tell us how to live moral and ethical and upright lives, and he most certainly did. But do you see him as ruler? Do you see him as king who has come to actively defeat his enemies, who has come to put to right all that is wrong with the world? who has come to restore the rightful reign of God on the earth? Do you see him as God coming and saying, no more, I shall act and I shall raise my hand and I shall do what is right? For that is why he has come. The kingdom of God is bound up in the king. Now, to answer the question fully of the kingdom of God, we have to answer the question, why is this good news? Because the reality is, it shouldn't be good news. As I was thinking about this sermon, and the fact that the king is the one who comes to reign and to rule with justice and righteousness on the earth, the scriptures are quite clear that I was an enemy of God. That I was actually the one who was caught stealing. Do we not all steal from God, his glory and his honor? 
Have we not all openly flouted his rules from the beginning? A good king would come and he would punish. And yet Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Why didn't he simply show up and execute justice? I didn't really answer the question, did I, of the difference between Jesus, uh, the son of God, that God is in charge of all of the earth. He's reigning over it. And yet it's very clear that people must enter into the kingdom of God and that some will be thrown outside of it. Here is, if you want to understand the kingdom of God and its coming, you must understand this, that the kingdom of God is not simply where Jesus rules. It is where he saves. Because Jesus is not only a king, he's also a priest. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, begins his reign with a rescue. To rescue his people. Revelations 5 1, excuse me, Revelation 5 1, I think is one of the best examples of what I'm talking about. It's a picture at the very end of time. And it speaks of, of, of the vision of John, in which he saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll. And it says that John began to weep because there was none found worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders said, Weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And when John looked, he says, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The ruler begins his reign with a rescue. See, the lion came down the back stairs in Bethlehem, so to speak. And as John looked for one who was worthy to open the scrolls, who was worthy to rule with the authority of God, he looked. And did he see a lion? No. He saw a lamb who had been slain and with his blood had ransomed people for God from every tongue and tribe and nation. Jesus Christ has come to proclaim and inaugurate the rule of the kingdom of God by saving his people and by ransoming them. We think of kings who exercise kingly power through conquering with might 
and force. But the king we worship is a king who ransoms. He's a king who restores. He's a king who destroys Satan by triumphing over him through the cross. And he's a king who exalts thieves like you and me. What kind of king is this? What kind of king who rules not by force, but by love? Who is it that he will allow to enter into this kingdom? Who can come? Notice what Jesus said. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He comes with invitation. He comes to proclaim. Do you ever wonder why we named our church the name that we named it? Redeemer Presbyterian. Seems that every PCA church is named Redeemer Presbyterian. Why exactly is that? Well, it's because of the word Redeemer or Redeem. The word Redeem literally means to buy back. And some of you who are old enough remember those glass bottles of Coke and Pepsi that you'd have that would have a price of redemption on the side. That if you went back to the grocery store and turned it in, if you returned it, they would buy it back from you for a nickel or whatever it was. It means to buy back. See, it would be very easy for the king to come and to destroy the enemy that ransomed his people. Excuse me, not that ransomed, that captured his people. But nobody captured us, did they? We sold ourselves to the evil one. We sold ourselves when we tried to take forcefully the reign and rule of God. And he bought us back. He comes the way he comes because he has to. In order to ransom and redeem us, he must pay the price to buy us back. And so this one who inaugurates his reign through rescue comes to bleed and die that he might ransom his people. What kind of king do you want to rule over you? You might say, I'm autonomous, I need no king. I can take care of myself quite fine. My response is you cannot change the very day you were born and the day that you die. Are you really in control of your life? Wait until you get the phone call of the child that you couldn't protect, of your life that you couldn't prolong, of the job you couldn't get, of whatever it is. If you take time, you'll recognize that you are not autonomous. We are controlled by forces far beyond our understanding, our ability. Well, you might say, I'm not autonomous, but I'm virtuous. That I live a good life. I have no need of ransom. I like C.S. Lewis's quote the best. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. We're all thieves. We're all guilty. We all stand in the dock, so to speak. We need a king who will come along, not to execute judgment, but to execute mercy. But what king would give his life 
his royal blood for the blood of a sinner. Jesus Christ did and would and does. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. And it's good news because it's a reign of love. It's a reign of ransom. It's a reign for ordinary people like you and me. So what do we do about it now? The kingdom of God is here, and yet it's clearly not here in all the fullness of its power. The king is coming. The king has come. The king will come. We need to understand that Jesus is inaugurating his reign through successive stages. He came as the lamb. God continues to allow sin in the world. He continues to allow sin in our lives, does he not? But at the same time, the kingdom is where he rules and he reigns. There are really two things that we have to focus on in this present time here and now. For there will be a time when the king will come, not as the lamb, but as the lion, to destroy all of his enemies. The kingdom of God is only for the ransomed and redeemed. All else will be shut out of the kingdom of God. The first is, the first thing we need to be focused on is solidifying his reign and his rule in my heart, in my life. For now I have the power and understanding to acknowledge that there is a king who reigns, that I do belong to another and not to myself, that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Is the reign of Jesus Christ becoming more and more prevalent in your heart and in your life? Is he annexing more and more territory as you give more and more of yourself to him? We're going to be talking about the kingdom for weeks and weeks and using parables to illustrate it, but one of those illustrations is that the kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven that he put into the dough and kneaded it through until all of that leaven expanded itself into all aspects of the dough. It begins with a seed, and it ends up being the largest tree of all of the trees. Is that what the kingdom of God is doing in your heart? What areas of your life do you need to give to the king, this great king of love? Is it my will and how I rule my life? Is it my secret sins that I keep stashed away where no one can see? Jesus died for those sins as well. Is it my relationships that I don't want to give over to him? Is it the bitterness that I hold on to, that I even treasure and pull out when I am lonely or angry? He wants all of our territory of our heart. And there is not one inch of it that he does not say that belongs to me. Give Jesus all of yourself every moment of the day. Sometimes it's just saying, I don't know what to do. But I give you this. Do something with it. Here are the keys. Unlock the door. But the second thing that we have to do, what we have to focus on, is his very mission. See, these people in this story as Jesus manifested the kingdom of God 
in demonstrating it by healing the sick, by driving out the demons who proclaim you are the son of God, by manifesting the rule of the kingdom of God over nature, over the spirits. They wanted to hold on to him. They wanted to keep him. But what was Jesus' heart? I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The gospel continues on, this invitation to bow to the king of mercy. Jesus gave us a commission, did he not? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I am, side note, excited about another missionary that we've started supporting, uh, Dr. Kernia Foe. I don't know if you know Kernia Foe. He's the head of Global Friendship Missions, which is the uh, mission to international students at ODU. They just finished building a $6 million house. Uh, it's not a house. It's a dorm for international students to stay. It's literally catty corner from the Constance Center. And Kernia is reaching out to international students as they come to ODU, preaching the gospel to them. So when they go back to their respective countries, they take the gospel with them. Redeemer is a part of that ministry. Redeemer is a part of the ministry in Chiba, Japan. Matt Chase is going to be speaking here on the 27th. We're going to be excited to have him as well. We continue with the ministry to Muslims in France, with um, the ministries on college campuses, two college campuses in the country. But God calls you and me to be his missionaries, to join in his purpose. The world is desperately looking for good news. They're desperately looking for a king, a good king that they'll give their heart to, who will not enslave them, but will set them free. That's the message of the gospel. Have you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ? You may have been coming to church all of your life and yet never been confronted with the question, is he your king? Does he have your heart? It's good news that the king has come because he has come to rescue all who would call upon his name. It's good news for you today and it's good news for the people around us. At one time, at the end, Jesus will come. Not as the, as the lamb, but as the lion. And all opportunity will be lost to come to faith. Now is the time, Jesus said. Open your eyes and look. Is not the harvest time now? Is not the field ready? Let us follow the reign of Jesus Christ by being as consumed with the things that he was consumed about. Preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a redeemer. He's a king. He has begun his rule. And it will never be stopped. Only expanding until its consummation. We await the future with bright eyes and smiles. For we know that we will see him face to face. We will no longer have to live by faith but we can live by sight. Until then, let us rest in his reign and in his lordship. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves.
Let's pray. The kingdom of God is your rule, which has been manifested in mercy and grace. Help us to submit in our hearts to your rule, to trust and know that you are in charge and managing all things, our lives, and ultimately this world for your glory. Lord, let us take up the mantle that you have put upon us as your children to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God, the rule of God to those around us that they too might hear and turn and be saved. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.